0: Welcome to the second episode of Sim Talk, uh, a member of the Broken Jars Broadcasting family. You can visit us at brokenjars.xyz to see all of our other podcasts. And today we have uh, Ben Schumann, PhD, with us all the way from Berlin.
1: That's right, Berlin, oh. Germany. Very yeah. nice to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, no problem. Uh, thanks for coming on on this uh, sun well Sunday afternoon for me, Sunday evening for you.
1: <laughs> That's right, but it's still sunny over here.
0: Oh, yeah. I wonder what sun's like. Living in Pittsburgh, it's always cloudy. <laughs> We're like the second cloudiest city in the country, like in the U.S. So, so Ben, tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, where did you go to school, what you do now, you know, just give us a little background on who you are and why we should listen to you.
1: Sure. Let's do it in a top-down approach, because um, that hints as to where I work currently, which is McKinsey. Uh, and when you work at McKinsey, that's one of the things they drill into you, top-down communications. So either f- you say the first, most important thing first, and then you go into the more detailed stuff. So I work at McKinsey. Mm-hmm. Um, and there I joined about a year ago with a sort of private mission to bring simulation modeling uh, to consulting, because I think it's massively underrepresented and it's a perfect, a perfect tool for consultants. Um, and that's going really well. Previous to that, I worked for a UK um, consulting firm, a small one, which was specialized on simulation modeling. They're called Decision Lab. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was a senior modeler there for three years, primarily serving defense clients and aerospace clients. And before that, I did my PhD in Southampton in the UK. And that's also where I got into simulation modeling about 10 years ago now.
0: Okay, so we've been uh, we've been in the game for about the same amount of time, except I didn't go Mm -hmm. get a PhD. It's it's interesting that you say you want to bring simulation into consulting because it seems like here in the states that simulation is mainly in the hands of consultants, and then like some companies will start to pick it up. Like you starting, you're I'm starting to see more and more companies like post jobs for consultants, but they're not for consultants for simulation people, but for the most part, it's like it is simulation consulting that goes into companies instead of the other way around.
1: Yeah, it's a good point. Um, I, I should clarify. Um, my mission is to bring it to management consultants. Ah, okay. so I'm talking about you know the the kind of people that go into a company, do lots of Excel analysis and PowerPoints, um, and they typically miss all of the f- fidelity that you can have with a simulation model. Uh, and the other thing, maybe I'm not sure, but maybe in in Europe. Simulation is really in the hands of uh, IT firms and of industri- industrial firms. You know, we've got a very strong, or well, in Germany, we've got a very strong industrial base with Siemens and, you know, all mm-hmm. the car manufacturers. And they have their own um, process simulation teams. So it's, it's very much in the hands of those people. And when I go to uh, management consultants, it's like, yeah, I'm not really sure what you talk about. Okay.
0: Well, it's sometimes hard to get people to like think about coding, and because they look at it like, oh, this is coding. I'm like, well, oh, kind of, but not really.
1: Yeah, I think it's um, when you show it to them, it often makes click. Uh, but when you're only talking and trying to explain what a simulation model does versus an Excel model, which is the world they typically live in, hmm. um, it's it's very difficult because they don't really see what benefit that would bring. You know, the time based component. When I talk about things interacting with each other, I, sometimes you see the blank stare in their eyes and it's like, oh. <laughs> it's really hard to bring across. I, I wish I would have some Lego figures or something to tell you, <laughs> which is a nice concept, by the way.
0: Right. Yeah. I try to get the idea across to people that it's the, the simulations can be smart and Excel spreadsheets can't be. Uh, that, well, what do you mean by
1: the term "smart"? Then, so
0: you so you know, especially in modern simulation software, is AnyLogic semio, You know, you have these objects that can have very complex decision-making capabilities. You can build into them. So instead of a more deterministic Excel model, where you know you basically you can only do these things in you know AnyLogic or Simio model, you can say, okay, well, there's five choices. Pick the best one. Or, yep. some, you know, there, there's a lot more. You, you you can create these objects that can think on their own to some extent. You know, they have a lot of decisions they can make on what is the best course given the model state
1: at the given time. Yep. Yep. That's a very good approach. Um, so I try to talk like that as well. Um, I think there are also three more dimensions that... that i try to mention to people to convince them of a simulation model things you can't do with excel so it's the it's the object oriented approach that you just mentioned um it's a time-based component so you actually have mm. some some level of time um flowing and you could do it in excel but it is it is such a pain and it's so yeah, it's just not worth it the the second one is that you have very like built-in stochastic capability with with a simulation model. Mm-hmm. You know, in Excel you also have normal distribution and stuff like that. But when you have the power of objects and you can assign stochastic uncertainty to every part of the model, even the smallest one, you can't do that with Excel. And then the last one is the experimentation. You know, you can easily put uh, do a Monte Carlo simulation. You can easily compare simulation ones. You can easily do an optimization on top of your simulation model, which is something, again, that you have to work hard in Excel to actually do.
0: Right, yeah, that
1: makes a lot of sense, yeah. And then the other one I just forgot, which is like the elephant in the room, is probably the the visualization, Mm -hmm. which is, for management consulting especially, that is the big one. You know, it's. i would be interesting to hear your point. I think there are probably two factions, two types of simulation model. That's one thing that uh, animation is sugarcoating, and the other thing is, it's the foundation of everything. And I tend to be the latter, so uh, I think I, it's super, super important.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, the, the animation is very important. Uh, I mean, I do. I don't. Well, my first runs, I don't tend to put a lot in there just to save time. But when people see it and it looks like what they have in their head, it just it it impacts harder because yep. especially um, you know in Simio, which is what I use on a daily basis, uh, you know you can import CAD drawings and build on top of the CAD drawing. So you know you go to some manager of a st- of a facility, and you bring up this model, and it's literally sitting on the drawing they've lived with for years. It just makes sense to them. They're like, "Oh, this." It's not just you know chunks of code in things moving back and forth, things are actually moving in their facility. It looks real to them, it feels more real to them. And when you have this, especially this software or this concept that is simulation, which is foreign to most people, when you can ground it in that kind of reality, it just makes the trust factor so much better
1: between you and whoever you're doing the project for. Yep, completely agree. I think in in management consulting, it's uh, even more important. Um, What we do at McKinsey is we try to have a week one solution, as we call it. So by the end of one week, we already want to have a model um, that provides some sort of insight, be it a really, really rough one. And for that, we need to have animation right away. Like we can't go to the manager and say, yeah, in in one month, we'll have the cut drawing. Mm -hmm. We need to have it right from week one. And just like you say, he needs to feel home from week one. And that's, that's super, super powerful. And the other dimension of visualization that is super powerful is not for the client, but for your own sake, for your own benefit, right? Mm. Um, for debugging, essentially.
0: Right. What I yeah. find
1: when right. I buy, build a model over a couple of months or a couple of weeks is I get a feeling for the model. You know, When I do some changes to it and I run it, I can sort of sense without... Um, being able to explain why that something is wrong. This didn't quite work. This is not what I expected. And that's, I only get that from the visualization. Mm-hmm. So the more, I find the more effort I put into it, um, the easier it gets towards the end to actually trust the model myself as well.
0: Right. Yeah, that is one of the nice things about the newer packages uh, is the animation kind of comes with it. Yeah, the, you don't have to work as hard to get a good looking model. Because it, the animation is sort of built in at this point, you know, especially with Flexim and Simio, you know, it's just the animation is just a part of it. You know, there is there isn't yeah. a lot of extra stuff. Uh, I know any logic, at least when I was using it, wasn't as on top of things with the animation, but that might have changed with some newer versions.
1: I think they've got a different philosophy. Um, I think like with Simio and with Flexim, you basically build your model within the visualization directly, right? Uh, exactly. You sort of drag and drop the objects and they're directly animated and you mm-hmm. click play and the objects that you just dragged animate themselves with the little men actually walking. It's just, right. is like, really funny. Um, I think with AnyLogic, um, the philosophy is that they want to keep the logic of the model and the visualization separated to give you, again, more flexibility. So, you know, their name AnyLogic is not just to convince you that you can model anything. It's also that you can animate it in any way possible. So they have some some sort of ground um, animation that comes with a package that's really easy to set up, um, but it's always you always have the logic and then you have to link the logic to the visualization um, but that allows you to go well beyond the standard uh, visualization and build completely different models like you wouldn't see that it's in any logic model it looks it might look like an Android app or or an iPhone app if you wanted to so I think they do that on purpose. Um, and i think in general any logic is really they target a little different market when it comes to simulation modeling um compared to to flexim or or simulate which are focused on simple drag and drop get mm. something out easy make it look nice easily um i think any logic is more for the let's go let's go all the way
0: yeah i mean you one of the nice things about any logic is the like you can put a lot of like Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lines of Java in there for really complex decisions, which you can do in Simio, but it's not as easy. You know, it's just a whole lot easier just to just be able, like, okay, let's write six hundred lines of code instead of all these process blocks. That is one thing I do I miss should, about working at working in it
1: is is that ability. Yeah, I should I should probably, um, as a disclaimer, say that I'm a big big AnyLogic fan and I've basically used nothing else for the last 10 years. <laughs> um, th- I've also taught it in the UK, gave the AnyLogic training courses. I'm, I'm very um, close with the AnyLogic team. Um, and for me, what I find is that after a little bit of time with AnyLogic, after you invest a little bit, a couple of weeks, go to the, to the normal training course and then uh, invest a couple of weeks, maybe uh, a few months of actual work and problem solving, you jump over a cliff of knowledge and at some point you feel like um, now i'm free now i can actually model whatever i want like you have understand the basic concepts of any logic and java and object oriented programming and you realize i'm i can do whatever i want now i'm like an like an artist <laughs> that can paint or <laughs> sculpture or whatever and that's mm-hmm. that's that's what i really like about the tool like um yeah. That flexibility is really good
0: right yeah it is one of the nice things about any logic but I mean I feel that way maybe just because I know it so well but I feel that way with simio uh, as well where I can like there's there is nothing out there I couldn't model it might take me a little bit longer in simio than versus other things but I can pretty much do whatever all right, so uh, let's shift gears a little bit. So, what do you feel about like the current state of the industry? Maybe you know, give us some insights into what it's looking like in Europe with simulation. You know, what are you liking about where you know trends
1: in the industry? Dislike. Um, so, I think the industry is in a good place at the moment. There is one thing that. Um, always confused me as being part of the simulation community. And that is with all the big data and analytics hype and machine learning is why is nobody ever talking about simulation in those circles? You know, why is Silicon Valley not talking about that? Why is there no uh, Tesla or Facebook or whatever uh, company that is doing simulation modeling and Mm -hmm. basically explodes? So I think the market and the size is still massively underrated if if we would be talking about simulation like a stock I would say definitely invest because um, the industry is picking up and you know working for McKinsey I talked to a lot of big companies and sort of c-suite level people um, and a couple of years ago when you talked about simulation you saw blank faces and it's like yeah we, we do that for our factories but yeah whatever you know and now the the gears are shifting. I think more and more people are realizing this is heavily linked to uh, the big trends in analytics. this' is heavily linked to machine learning and optimization um, that you can do so much more with when you pull in simulation into your analytics team, and um, you are limiting yourself massively if you just stick with with the typical kind of data analysis techniques mm-hmm. that are out there um, so i think it's a it's a really good point in time to be part of the community to to invest your time and learn more about it um, whenever i you know within mckinsey i have i'm i don't have a boss which is really cool about the firm so i need to essentially be my own boss i need to find my own projects and i need to advertise my skills within the firm and even a year ago, that was really difficult. I didn't know anybody, but nobody knew about simulation as well. And now I have people calling me and saying, well, I saw this on the internet, what you did, the simulation model. I want to do this. I'm absolutely uh, thrilled by that. That's like a, such a good um, addition to the analytics kind of work that we already do. So, yeah, I think things are, things are only picking up. It's it's uh, The only question for me is, is there going to be, a uh, hype, um, or is it going to be an organic growth?
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, Grant, I haven't been in the the formal academic training side of simulation, so I mean, I don't know if like the numbers they are growing, but it always seems like there's like two people who really like <laughs> have like an industrial engineering class of like a thousand kids. There's like two of them are like, "Oh, simulation that looks like fun."
1: I think that will change. I think that will change. Uh, it might be that I'm a little hyped because I work in McKinsey and everybody is hyped in McKinsey. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, when, when senior partners call you, the other day I was building a model or finished a model for a client. I, I sort of sent it around in a, on an internal email list. And then the managing partner, like the top boss of McKinsey, saw it and wants to share it with his clients because he intuitively got it. You know I, mm-hmm. I sent around some screenshots and discussed the model and just a couple of bullet points. Um so when you can um get the uh what's the word? Uh what is the word?
0: Buying? The
1: attention. Okay. The attention of oh. of very, very senior people with very little, with a couple of screenshots and a few bullets, I think that is interesting. You know, if it would have been the one the hundredth machine learning tool that we did, it probably wouldn't have responded. But this is something unique. This is something new. So that I think there's so much low-hanging fruit still out there with simulation modeling. Um, there's bound to be some some progress.
0: I would agree. I, part of me thinks that, with especially with the um, progression of a certain like games like Minecraft and such, that a lot of younger kids, when they get to you know university, they'll see simulation, and be like, "Oh, that's like Minecraft," and really want to like get into it because that's kind yep. of I don't know, it feels similar to an extent because you're sort of building
1: this world, you know. I was um, a couple of, two or three years ago, I was on the brink of saying, now we actually have a big fat startup that's going to change uh, things for simulation massively. I'm not sure if you heard about Pro- Improbable. Mm, didn't see that. It's a, it's a London-based startup. Um, they've got, a, you know, massive amounts of funding. Uh, really successful in that space and what they do is they allow you to build um, realistic online worlds but at a massive scale you know with typical online games you you basically can have like a hundred players in one area and then the server is stuffed with improbable what they do they allow you to have Realistic worlds where if you turn up, if you turn a stone in one corner of the world, the whole world will know about it, and even a hundred years later, that stone will still be there, turned if nobody else has turned it. It's like a mm. um, completely realistic world that scales to infinity. You could model every atom if you wanted to. Um, and I was really hopeful because at the time they weren't sure of their technology. Is you know if they're going to make more money with computer games. Or if they can actually go into industry and apply that for, you know, defense and, and aerospace mm-hmm. applications where that would be really, really cool. And, and big scale simulations, maybe in, you know, infection and disease control and that kind of stuff. Um, but now I think they're still really successful, but they have gone down the, the games route because I guess that's where, where they can make the money. Um, but it's a really, really powerful simulation technique that they, they have developed. to. Check
0: that out. Maybe I can find a link and put it in the show notes. So obviously you love to to do simulation projects, but there's gotta be something like some drawbacks to it, right? Like what like what do you find that you're always just like beating your head against in projects
1: or with you know customers or anything like that? Good question. Um I, I do like it, so this really puts me on the spot of needing to think about it. Um what? It's more a personal thing. I am a personality type that doesn't quite like the testing and the debugging so much. I'm more of the sparky, oh, let's build a new model and let's make it fancy, look fancy and impress the client kind of person. But towards the end, when it comes to making it actually work and uh, validate it against reality, that's that for me is always the downside. Oh, now I have to go through this. And... I remember in my PhD, there was, there was a bug in my model and it took me literally three weeks to find that bug. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really frustrating, you know. <laughs> I haven't had it that bad since. But uh, yeah, I, I think what would typically work well is in these kind of situations, there are people out there that really like to do that kind of stuff and that are really critical of your models. So my ideal simulation modeling experience would actually be uh, two people working in parallel one building the model and one testing the model but very often i find you don't have the luxury
0: uh do you find that, that you sometimes have up, that? Uh,
1: that
0: actually brings up an interesting question and thought of what do you think of simulation generally being a one-man show like generally if you're in simulation you're the one going to the clients you're doing the meetings you're getting the you know sops and all the assumptions you're building the model you're testing the model you're presenting the findings like what do you think of that as like what it what you become sort of as this odd h- hodgepodge swiss army knife of talents as as a simulation like it's it's really really interesting that you like you just end up doing all this stuff that's not really a part of what you're supposed to be doing which is building some models
1: well, I I would phrase it differently. I would say that's the best part. So if they're like young people listening to this, maybe in their degree, thinking should I do this or not, I would advertise it like that. It's like you're st- the industry is still at a stage where um, it's not so super specialized that you are uh, you know a a random tree forest machine learning expert kind of guy who always does the same thing. You have to have you have to do it from A to Z still. Mm. I love that, except for the testing and debugging. (laughs) Um, But, you know, talking to clients, trying to understand the system, then creatively, that creative process of putting it into a a computer model um, and making the client go, wow, and then the client actually implementing it. I love that. And I kind of fear uh, further down the line, maybe in 10, 20 years, when the market will have grown and more people will know about it, that's not gonna be the case anymore. You know, you typically see the specialization whenever something becomes big, people tend to specialize, obviously, and then you are, you know, you are the Monte Carlo optimization expert and nothing else.
0: Right, that is one of the things I've had issues with since I've been with the same firm for about three and a half years now. And it's not consulting, it's, you know, Fortune 500 kind of company. And like, I, I came out of consulting so I was doing all sorts of different projects And now I'm doing the same two or three kind of projects and after a while I just like oh god just give me something new please yeah so
1: I, I, I can sympathize with that what apparently. is
0: uh, like you know especially on the consulting end? what what are some common themes you see with your clients in terms of like uh, Issues they have questions they bring up like there's always going to be like two or three questions that every client brings up Like what are certain those kind of trends you see?
1: So I work for the operations Practice as they call it in McKinsey. So the clients I work with um, or the studies we do with them are uh, on operational issues like Mm. physical logistics, supply chain, manufacturing, physical things and coming from an aerospace background. I like that. So I'm not a I'm not a finance guy I don't like the strategic, let's turn around the business strategy for the next 10 years kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the questions that come up from clients are very um, typically quite focused and very physical. For example, we know that we have bottlenecks in our system, but we don't know how the bottlenecks are moving over time. So last week, maybe the uh, the machine one in the factory was the bottleneck. But the week before it was, it was the employees and we don't know why that switched, when that switched and what caused that switch. Mm-hmm. And for these kind of things, you can then say, yes, we need a simulation model for that because we need to model the interactions and we need to see how, uh, how the, how the bottlenecks moves over time. And then we can actually look into the future. Then we could do what if scenarios and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's the same for the kind of logistics uh, clients that we work for um, that, you know, also have, they've got super advanced optimization typically going on of what should be sent where, um, but they struggle with the, with the operational management of that. You know, the, the short term truck broke down or a strike is coming up, how we, should we best deviate our strategy? But I think you're probably much more in in that kind of arena than I am. But I find that super interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely. Well, luckily now things have shifted a bit, where a lot of my work is in like experimental designs. You know, the 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 design engineers will be like, we have this new technology and we need it to fit in this space and we think this will work. And they're like, here, here's a drawing. So I'll go in, simulate it. Be like, yes. And a lot of times, you know, an entire 30, $40 million project rides on me going, yes or no, it'll work. You know, at some point, it just comes down to me going, yeah, it'll work or it won't work. Because there's been at least twice in the last year and a half that I've probably said, no, it won't work on about seventy million dollars worth of projects. Very interesting. Yeah, so that's, that, that's cool. where I've been recently, especially because you know, with all of the, with all of the really rapid advancements and technologies in terms of like like automation and like self driving robots and all that stuff. That's all things we're looking at implementing, and so it's very like we 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 get a lot of those kind of projects now of you know different different material handling designs different robots different ways to do all sorts of things that's that's where like in my little corner of the world things are changing a lot and like where i've been doing
1: so the the questions that you get seem to be even more specific than the questions i tend to get so it's really will this work or not with the clients that i face it's typically more of we have a problem here can you help and nobody's asking for simulation to help you know, they are asking McKinsey to help. Mm. And then I'm saying here, simulation would actually make sense. And we should model this with the simulation model.
0: Everyone
1: who's
0: very specific, like we want to do X in like the facility. We want to change X process to Y will that, is that actually worth it? And so that's, that's actually the project I'm working on right now, is we're looking at changing how we move some things in the facilities. So I go so that's what I've been doing. I've been modeling this facility to like see if transferring from X to Y will
1: actually be beneficial or if it's just a waste of time. Okay. Interesting. Have you ever um, need to train somebody while on the job?
0: Um not not in my current position. I've had to do some training previously. Um, and I've definitely taught people how to do simulation. Um, back when I was at a company called Webco, I had a couple engineers who worked with me and they did some smaller modeling and stuff that I was like helping them with and showing them how to do it. And I don't know what happened to simulation when I left, but we were using it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually used it to schedule an entire production facility. So it would, but the model would go beyond just scheduling. It would actually read in all the inventory for at the facility. It would pick, it would create bombs for every order based on several rules we had for optimal inventory. So it wasn't just a, hey, this is the, when you need to put things on. It was literally, they would print out the bomb from the model and give it to the people on the shop floor be like, these are the these are the lots you need to put in this order. So it went beyond that. It went an extra la- layer.
1: That's the perfect satisfying simulation case, isn't it? When you yeah. see your model actually being printed out and given to people on the floor mm-hmm. shop floor. And it was really like, that was one of my
0: more, like, I'm really still really proud of that model. I mean, that's probably like five, six years old now, but I uh, like, we had a bunch of sort of optimization questions in there because it was a it was a production facility for steel tube, you know not very sexy, but you know steel tubes, different diameters, different lengths. And so there was all these ideas in the model where it would look at the tooling on each each uh, each lathe essentially and it would make decisions on, okay, would it be better to change the tooling out based on the orders behind this one or let this one order wait, you know, for a machine with the tooling already on it? And then you have to, like, get into the whole, well, when is this order due? Can it wait? You know, so we... like. I mean, it took me... It was a big model, probably, like,
1: six, eight months from start to finish. Interesting. That, that uh, sounds really sexy to me. You shouldn't say it's not sexy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... I had a- I had a, a similar client, actually, still steel pipe manufacturing client recently, uh, and I also thought, oh, not really sexy. But then they took me on a tour through the through the plant, and I felt like a mordor, you know, this plant in the middle of Europe, and it's everything is dark and and fiery, and you know these hot steel pipes cast by you, mm-hmm. you know, it felt like mordor. <laughs> so then I thought, okay, cool. I always, um, I think that's a really important part of simulation modeling. I always insist when I we build a physical model, uh, you know, a physical system, I need to see it. There's, you know, there's so much to be learned when you actually do a site visit.
0: It, it is visit really things. nice to, to do a site visit, but most of the time I don't get the chance. Like I'm just going off drawings and pictures and like, talking to the hub engineer.
1: Like, is that? Do you think that that works for you because it's very similar type of projects every time?
0: Uh, no, I mean. I, there's been a lot of times where, I mean, different projects across, you know, the last 10, 11 years that I just haven't been able to go. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just sometimes it's limitations of time, money, you know, like at my current job, we've been on travel restriction for like eight months. So, (laughs) but yeah, so sometimes you you just got to adapt, you know, and adapt and go. Like I did a, I did a rail model, uh, a rail yard model a while ago. I mean, this was like nine, 10 like, a long time ago. Like one of my first major projects that I never went there, but uh, we did it. You know, I just went off pictures and like the CAD drawings and everything. And you just kind of go from there and hope. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, you it got to have really, really good communication skills to get the exact proportions, like exact everything, you know, when, yeah. you, when you can't see it. Like, I also
1: find I, I did have a project two or three years ago uh, about a tank supply chain stuff, and I couldn't visit. Um, and even when you have really good communication skills, I find there's so many, there's so much terminology mm-hmm. that I find hard to remember. You know, there's TBC or whatever, some acronym. You know, well, they I explained know, it to me, but a week ago, acronyms, man. <laughs> That's just how yeah. industry is. You know, you forget it. But if you've seen what a TBC is, if it's that kind of machine there in the corner, it's so much easier to remember. Mm-hmm. And I really try to like if I have if I have clients that are skeptical of me visiting, I try to push very, very hard. It's just it's always worth the money, even if you fly halfway around the globe. There's so much so much usefulness in there, so much value in there, oh, and yeah, absolutely. you kind of at some point you have to threaten them even saying, you know, <laughs> either you invest in this little bit of traveling now, or there is chance that we just mess it up because there's some misunderstanding, you know, what's, what's the value in that tends yeah. to work <laughs> with McKinsey. They send you all over the globe anyway. So I have to do no arguing there, which is, which is luxury.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it just really depends for me if I actually get to see the facility or not. Um, you know just it kind of depends on like business needs and where the business is at the current time. Yep.
1: Maybe VR will take will take us there.
0: Maybe. That's what I mean that's something I'm really interested in cuz I think VR and simulation have a very they could they could have a very symbiotic relationship and I really hope that someone really puts in the effort. Like I don't know. Have you yeah. done anything with the Oculus Rift, or have you played with those at no, all?
1: Not at all. So um, I was doing it. I listened to your. I listened to your last episode, uh, and you discussed it. And I found it really interesting, um, and I, I see some potential there for sure, but mostly for the end users. You know, mm-hmm. I don't see much potential for for developers. Uh, I I can. I, I could see like being able to
0: like. Stand in the middle and look around. Like you're talking about the animation, like being able to like stand in the middle of the animation and watch it. You'd be able to pick up so much more. And if you could, especially use your hands to like grab and drop and move and expand and shrink and all that stuff, I I think it would be a huge thing. But really, Uh, for developers, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Oh, Mm -hmm. interesting.
0: Because it. Imagine like so. You're you're drawing a model, right? I mean, think of it in more of like a, a flex sim where you're placing objects instead of going, you know, mouse click. Think of being able to hold the objects in your hand and just place them as you want and just move them, you know, organically instead of point and click. That's mm-hmm. that's where I think a lot of I think there's a lot of to be gained there. But what really sold me is I was doing this demo. Uh, at just a electronics retailer here in the States. And they had this city, you know, you could see, and they were like, okay, now bend down. And so I did, and you could, so you, you were kind of at an angle, like a 45 degree angle from the top. And when I bent down, I could actually see underneath like the overpasses and see the cars running underneath the bridges that I couldn't see before. And I was like, oh, that's it. That would sell a project like that. You know, and that's when that's when I just like, yep, I need this. I need this in my life. I need to feel like, I need to figure out some way to do this. Cool, cool. I've been trying to convince the people at um at my office to give me a computer that's big enough and fast enough to run one, but no such luck. <laughs> Is it easily possible? Can you easily match it with Shmuel? Uh, I know Simio at least has a way to export. I-, I think it's just like pre-rendered. Like you can like create like videos, and then they all export to Oculus in okay. other VR formats. But to the best of my knowledge, there are n- there are no development tools. Even ev- every VR thing I've seen for simulation is like demoing. Like you create the video, and then you put on the headset and let it fly.
1: Yeah. I, I, I yeah, I'm still not convinced for developers to be honest. Like I find the combination of mouse and keyboard seems to be a sweet spot that no technology has yet, you know, become better. Even if you think about voice commands, you know, everybody with with Amazon Echo and Alexa, and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, people think that we will start just talking to computers, but. It's clunky, you know. It, Even if you look, clunky. watch Star for Star Star Trek, you know they talk to the computers, but it's so clunky, you know. No, it's I mean, much much faster to just click, type <laughs> a little bit. Like.
0: Yeah, I just I could see the it the if the tools were built right, it would be an extension. It would be able to do the point and click faster, and I think that's yeah. where the big. So instead of like click click click, it's like you know tap tap tap. You know instead yeah. of so that, that's, in my head, that's where it works. I don't, I mean, I don't think I ever will have the technical knowledge to be able to do that, but that's where, like, I don't think I could ever build it, is what I was trying to say.
1: I think we're actually getting ahead of ourselves here, really excited about the thing that's going to happen two generations from now. What do you think about the current trend in the simulation industry of cloud computing and and moving everything to the cloud?
0: Uh, for some. Respects, I like it, um, especially for you know, if you have a lot of replications to run, you know, being able to throw it up on a server, it it instantly goes to like a hundred cores, and you can run them all at one time, because it's not uncommon for me to do like two, three hundred experiment runs, and that just takes a yep. lot of time. Especially, I mean, granted, I've managed their older computers. I mean, real old, like two like dual core eight, eight gigs of ram but i've managed to like find like six of them that i've networked to distribute runs onto and that helps but I mean, yeah. there have been times to run you know 10 especially with the bigger models where it's like eight hours to run 10 runs and so being able to like have that out there for the service is great granted yeah. I, my company won't pay for it but if you're lucky enough to have it it's awesome <laughs> yeah um you know, I don't always like the idea of needing an internet connection. Um, like, I don't, if I can, I roam a license because we have floating licenses out on the server. Mm-hmm. But I always have, like, I always pull that license down and put it on my computer. Because if something happens or I got to travel or whatever, I want it there. So I did that part I don't like. And at least I haven't seen us, I haven't seen anything to where you can develop fast enough on a cloud because there is that latency between you, know, yeah. you and the internet. So I really like developing on a computer right there. Like I want to know I was, where the, I,
1: I was at the WinterSim uh, hmm. last year and there was the AnyLogic sort of introduction thing. Uh, and one person was asking, so when are you going to have a web-based user interface? <laughs> and I put my hand up and said, please never do that. You know, that would be the end of it all. As a developer, that's the last thing you want to mm. develop over the web. You know, that that's that can't be good. Now I would run it on the web, all go for it. But developing, please leave it. Well yeah, it
0: on. developing, yeah, that's tough. I mean, I, I could see, like, you know, putting a model up in the cloud and having, a, a like, a GUI for an end user to be able to, like, change the variables, click a button, spit out data. That's fine. But developing on the web would be tough. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, have you ever even tried to use, like, Word or Google Docs? I mean, that thing... I have,
1: yes. Exactly. It,
0: it, and word processors get clunky after a while. It's something like... Because uh, one of the things I'm... And one of my side projects is I'm I'm writing a novel and um it is like after about twenty thousand words, Google Docs just like dies. It's <laughs> <And so, laughs> like you can't even do that, you know. It, yeah, but it, yeah. you you think you can write run a simulation model on the web? I mean, maybe maybe once everyone has like gigabit internet and you know, computing resources are essentially free, maybe, but for now, you need a you know a good laptop or a desktop. Yeah,
1: completely agree. Hmm.
0: That is that is one thing. I just this is one of my issues with like the current state of simulation is a lot of companies don't understand that you need real computers to like run these things on. Like this is very, especially the bigger models, very intense mathematics and other things, and it just it just wears computers down and so like I'm running these huge models on like a four-year-old laptop trying my best to like keep them as like tight as possible so they don't blow up on me but it's it's hard to do like you need good hardware to be able to do this
1: completely agree um I was lucky enough in McKinsey to actually get like a special machine Mm -hmm. and I was super excited about it like oh finally I got my faster laptop and and they gave it to me and obviously it was completely bogged down with sort of company security right. software again. So it really wasn't that much faster, which was a little bit disappointing. But it's it's quite good nonetheless. But the the lucky advance for me compared to your sit- situations, typically my models don't get super, super complicated and and big, you know, you probably build like logistics networks across the entire states or something. Uh, whereas I
0: my issue is right now is mainly size. It's just um, lots. It's not uncommon for me to have twenty to forty thousand on-screen entities,
1: and that's just and these represent that's... like parcels or something.
0: Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, yeah. probably there there's some models that probably have sixty to seventy thousand objects on screen at one time. When once you t- they take in all the objects that, so that that that's my issue. It's just there's they're big. And they're really big compared to like what a lot of other people do. Like Simio will give you an error. It's like, hey, you have twenty thousand entities on screen. Is this this probably is wrong? I'm like, nope. It's like don't show me this, don't show me this error again, it's fine. <laughs> you know, just, just So uh,
1: you know, I'm not an experienced simio user, but couldn't you just turn them off? It looks like it's the animation seems to be the problem.
0: Well, yeah, I mean you kind of can, but I mean once you start building once they get that big, I mean, you still got to track, right? I mean, the models got to track them. They got to know where they are. And there's all these processes that get fired. And, you know, at every step, each package is interacting with the model some way. It needs to get diverted. It needs to get moved.
1: It needs to get destroyed, you know? So there's. So do we actually come back to full circle now to the question of animation separated from logic? <laughs> that simio forces you to animate in a sense uh i mean
0: yeah he does force you to animate i mean that's a good way to put it um right. because it's just inherent in the way they design them mo- in the software yeah.
1: okay i mean so uh, next mean, week i give a i give a workshop on any logic uh, sort of best practices in any logic and actually one of the things i'm going to recommend is um what i typically do is i have a fast-forward button. I mean, it has a built-in fast-forward button, right. but that just makes things animate faster. Um, I custom code something that basically takes you to a place in the model that has nothing. <laughs> it's just white space. And that tends to speed up things a lot. You know, it's a very easy, quick fix.
0: Right, well, that's yeah. what the, um, especially in Simio, that's what the experiment runners are for because it that that has right. no animation. It just runs. Yep. But still, I mean, when you have that, those, that many processes firing all at the same time, it just bogs down the cpu and yeah. you know I mean, anylogic's a bit better with ram but like simio it's it's a hog you need 32 gigs to run that thing effectively for big models all oh, right interesting but, And i don't know if that's um, a side effect of the of the language itself because you know anylogic is java simio is c sharp i think flexsim is c++ still i think uh, so I, so there, there there are, restri- there are restrictions and advantages and disadvantages just based on the coding itself you know that the underpinning yep. model or of of the framework so i I don't know which we, which is which like maybe it's because c plus plus or c sharp handles memory a certain way or if like the coders they didn't like handle the memory correctly I don't know Right.
1: That, that sometimes takes me to the to the sad part being a simulation consultant. Sometimes the client has a need for a simulation model and I'm really happy and get excited. And then it turns out their need is actually to have such a complex um, model at so such high speed that you just cannot use any of the off-the-shelf softwares because they would be too slow. be it Sim or any logic or anything. You actually have to code something from scratch in Python just to be in Python or in C-sharp or whatever, just to be fast enough. And for me, that's always like, ah, that's such a shame because I can't do that.
0: <laughs> I would be interested to see those because I haven't run into that yet where, where it has to be that fast.
1: Right. I know that uh, we build a um, simulation model for uh, national postal services. Mm-hmm. And again, it was the question of every single parcel needs to be modeled. Um, actually, being transported right to the doorstep and that kind of oh, wow. geography and everything. So that's big. Boy, yeah. you you can't do that with off the shelf software anymore. That sounds like a challenge.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> I want to, I bet you I could do it, but maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, w- I would like to try. Uh, so, where do you kind of see now? We've sort of where we are, like, where do you think we're going to be going? as an industry, as people who work here, you know, the next, in 2028, you know, 10 years from now, where do you think the industry is going
1: to be? Where do you think you're going to be? Well, for the industry, my hope and my vision is, um, there's a very specific one for McKinsey and for management consultants. I want to be, um, I want to see that every team, every team at a client has at least one person who could do a simple drag and drop simulation model, who knows a tool and can just drag and drop something quick and dirty, that would be amazing. Um, because like 20, 25, 30 years ago, that was the vision of some people when it comes to Excel. They were saying, mm-hmm. we need Excel and we need management consultants to be able to build simul- simple Excel models. And now you look at them and they're all Excel cracks. You know?
0: Yeah. That
1: would be really cool if that would take off because it is so much more powerful. Um, then on a wider industry perspective I think um, it's it's bound to grow it's bound to um, gain um, knowledge in in industry so for example with a with a, one of the hypes recently is the digital twin hype in, in industry where it's really about let's build a simulation model of very complex machinery like our factory and and do something it's basically simulation modeling with mm-hmm. a different word um, thats Seems to be growing quite quickly, um, and that's not going to go away. There's a lot of potential and benefit in there, so it's it's. I don't think it's an empty hype. Uh, for myself, um, it's really. I want to drive forward this this mission of making simulation great within management consulting, because it is it is so useful at every stage of a consulting project.
0: Well, I, yeah, I definitely would agree there. I mean, it's it's just when, when you have that that underpinning of look, within a certain degree of accuracy, this will work or this will not work. It's just, it creates a much more firm dialogue to to start from. Yes. Like we've, take, like we've taken all your assumptions. We've proven that it'll work. Like it runs like it does in the real world. These are the outputs and they just don't match up or they do match up.
1: I find it, um you know, when I say every stage, I actually mean every stage. So even when you start writing proposals, um, typically what the firms are doing is just create powerpoints with lots of data and some pre-analysis. Mm-hmm. But if you actually build this, I've done this. I've done uh, build very simple models within three or four hours with Visual Impact that are being used in discussions of you know we want to make, do this project with you, mm-hmm. and people are absolutely amazed. You know they they love it. It's like Oh, this is so cool. Let's play with that. Let's do a little bit of changing the sliders and and see colorful charts and stuff. So in that phase, it's really useful. Then you start a project and you brainstorm with the client. So tell me about your your system. If you build the simulation model right in parallel with them, why they'll tell you about the system? And you drag and drop a couple of objects and say, is this how it actually works? Again, this brings up so many clarifications much easier. Mm-hmm. And then wow. in the in the big fat analysis phase, obviously, where really we build the model, the system, and then do all the analysis, then it's useful. And then at the end, when you have to sort of implement it or convince some CEOs, again, you have animation at your disposal and you have a really powerful model at your disposal. Uh, again, super useful. So, you, you know, most of those phases, except the analysis phase, you cannot do with an Excel model. Right.
0: So it's an easy. Spell. <laughs> <laughs> it should be. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, always the the, the thing I always run into and I think is funny is people underestimate how difficult certain things are to program. Like certain things you just take for granted. Like humans being able to like look at two things and understand they're different is really difficult to do in a computer.
1: (laughs) Very good. Very true.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) Like there's certain just innate things in that humans can do just, you know, automatically that is... Really difficult to program. They're like, oh, this should be easy. I'm like, no, no, that's hard. <laughs> it's like it's gonna take me some time, I promise.
1: Do you find that difficult? I, I typically find um being the only specialist, you know, we talked about this being a required to do all the roles, you also have to um scope your work. And right. you say no, this actually takes longer. Mm-hmm. You find that difficult because I I find people trust me and t- people cool. believe me. Um, he's the expert. I can't really challenge that. Uh
0: for the most part, it's it's not a big deal. But every once in a while, like why isn't why isn't this done yet? Well, this is more difficult. <laughs> I mean, it's just mm-hmm. it's just harder to do. So that's it's just that you just saw if you run into, but like people don't understand. They're like, oh, this seems. Or what I also run into is they don't get why I'm digging so deep with my questions. They're like, okay. So they're like, okay, this is, this is how the process works. And they just rattle off like a couple sentences. I'm like, okay. Then I started like picking apart everywhere. Okay. What happens here? What happens here? What happens here? What happens here? I even, yeah. uh, a lot of times when I'm working with different engineers, I'm like, okay, you're probably going to hate me about three weeks in this project. And that's okay. I'm expecting you to do that. <laughs> Cause you know, I'll be sending all these clarification emails. Like, Okay, we we, you know we have that you have that meeting where you sit down and like talk about everything and you think you have it, but when you start modeling, you're like, Okay, well, you know, is it this or is it this? Like it's like like at the eye doctor, like, okay, which is better, A or B. Like it's those little itty bitty tweaks that you have to get right or the model won't work right, you know. So it's like some of the engineers I know just hate me because I ask so many very specific questions. (laughs)
1: Very nice expectation management.
0: I know you will hate me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but hey, it's bound to happen. It's bound to happen. <laughs> I find um, what you're saying is essentially the, the problem that in reality you need to know every what if, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you have a very simple system like a, a, a traffic crossing or something and you want to model it, then superficially you would just ask how does the traffic crossing work and somebody would say, well, you have the red yellow and green light and cars drive when it's green and they stop when it's red but when you want to model it then all the tiny what if scenarios come up so what if this car has moved a little too far and could still see the red light but um should it stop should it go what if two cars crashes how does the rest behave you know and you know it's in complexity explosion there
0: or you know and then you have all the questions of like okay you what are the probabilities that you know, if a car was, is within 50 feet of the light and it starts to turn yellow, will they gun it or will they, you know, slam their brakes? You know, There's all these little things that most people are like, oh, it's just traffic at a stoplight. But, you know, our minds are like, okay, well, we got a thousand different things. And we all got to get into one model.
1: This is a very interesting topic to discuss, I think, because that takes you into the path of um, simulation art versus science, right? Mm-hmm. Because at some point, as with your experience, you have to say, oh, well, this is too detailed now. I can't implement this. This is ri- getting ridiculous. Based on my experience or intuition, you could even say, I make this assumption now. Right. You know, um, and at some, you know, that's, there's, yeah, there's no science behind that. There's no methodology. At some point, you, you have to make your own decision.
0: Right. That, that's, that's one of those really things,
1: especially as the engineer
0: building the model, you have to
1: explain
0: to the client why you're doing this and you know certain things clients are like oh yeah black box it, not a big deal but other times you're like no this has to be like perfect and that's that's always a a fine line to walk because if you black box too much there's a really good chance you're going to start to lose faith in the model because they can't see it you know they can't feel it you know that that is one of the hard parts about
1: convincing people they're like okay, trust me, this works. Although I found I found recently quite interesting. I always assumed that my any logic models are perceived as black box models more or less. Um, but what I have found recently is actually um, people perceive them not as black box compared to optimization models. So, um, for example, there was a, a client with several factories. They are manufacturing medicine pills essentially Mm -hmm. and they have really sophisticated optimization tools but essentially it's like mathematical optimization with hundreds of equations that need to be solved and you know nobody has a clue what's going on there um and when they see a simulation model even you know they see the 3d animation uh in any logic can even visualize a couple of the algorithms if you want to um they they perceive that as not black box but actually you know the opposite, whatever the opposite is. Um, whereas I sit there in front of the model and, and basically know it's actually a lot be, beyond that that you don't actually see. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could still consider it a black box. I found that really interesting to see that people actually think this is not black box, even compared to an Excel model where you could you know, trace back from one cell to the next cell to the next cell. Even that people perceive as a black box because nobody ever does that.
0: Right, and I, I think the animation is a big part of it because they can see it moving. You know, they see it moving instead of, you know, an optimization, you know, you have input, output and there's all this stuff in the middle, but you can see all the stuff in the middle with, with a, with a simulation
1: for the most part. Yep. What I also always sort of in terms of best practices do in any logic is um, that you can click on anything moving. So whatever moves, if you click on it, you get into that bit. So if there's a truck moving, you click on it, you see the actual logic of the truck. What they call a state chart in AnyLogic, so you see Mm -hmm. what is it currently driving? What's where's it driving to? That kind of bit of explanatory. What's its name? Simple things like that,
0: right? And that that is one of those things, especially with the way the state charts work in AnyLogic and like the process logic works in Simio, is since it's sort of um, Visio-like, you know, it's sort it's sort of a flow chart. You know, you can create that way. So if you need to, you can open it up. And walk the client through the logic. Okay, so, okay, this this spot, this happens, and here, and you can see the branches, and they're like, oh, okay, I I get it. Like, it's the visual r- visual representation of the code that really helps a lot. There,
1: yeah, yeah, it is such a powerful tool, genuinely. Yeah.
0: yeah, and what I was always like to say is, you know, any lot or. Simulation is a hammer, but not every not every problem's a nail. So just make sure you're using
1: the right tool. Yeah, absolutely. Knowing that is again a little bit of art, mm-hmm. isn't it?
0: Because sometimes so, you're like, oh yeah, I'll do a simulation. You're like, oh, I can just use this in Excel
1: in like a day and a half,
0: and just do it in Excel and ship it and move on. You know.
1: But on the other hand, um, what I tend to use sometimes is I misuse simulation tools, not for simulation. But for example, the the animation capability of AnyLogic is, is is really powerful. I like drawing charts with AnyLogic, like explanatory charts. You know, with the state charts, you can drag and drop really nice things mm-hmm. that that you just can't do in PowerPoint even. Um, and what I found recently, there is um, there was a guy on on LinkedIn, and he uploaded a CV as an AnyLogic model. So you click play on the AnyLogic model and there was his CV unfolding. So you could see it like a little agent flowing through a process chart. And when it was, when he flowed through 2008, then suddenly it popped up what happened in 2008 in this guy's life, which was such a creative use of simulation modeling. I love this, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to recruit him straight away. So, you know, it's not always the right tool, um, but it can be the right tool for lots of non-obvious things as well. Right. Well, that is one nice
0: thing about because I I mean, I cannot, you know, I'll never be a 3D animator, but having those kind of 3D tools available to you in an easy way is really nice. Yeah. So, while we uh, start wrapping up, uh, is there anything else you'd like to hit or, you know, maybe wrap your Twitters or whatever?
1: (laughs) Well, one thing, uh, one final thing I want to hit is really, One thing I'm missing is still uh, bringing the community together. I think there's still lots of little hotspots of people like the winter sim community. We have a simulation community in Europe. Then we have a simulation community for each of the tools. Um, but we should, you know, somehow we need to move closer together and sort of bring this buzzword hype together with the analytics hype and basically become very empowered and say, we should be part of this as well, you know. There should be no analytics without simulation, that kind of thing. That's one thing. Um, apart from that, um, I'm very active on in the AnyLogic community. Uh, I typically write a blog, but I don't get to do it very much while working at McKinsey because the work hours are very demanding. Um, but I've got a website, benjamin schumanncom where you can find the blog, some useful information there, especially on any logic, but also general tips and tricks for simulation modeling. Uh and on Twitter, I'm simulation101. Nice. That's a good that's a good Twitter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming out and sharing your uh, your evening with us here at Simtalk. Um for those listening, uh, all of Benjamin's stuff will be in the show notes. Uh, again, you can find the podcast at broken jars at XYZ forward slash SimTalk. Um, if you'd like to give us some of your hard-earned money, you can visit us at patreon.com forward slash broken jars. To help support the network. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Jacob Ingalls. And if you would like to interact, uh, you can email us at broken jars broadcasting at gmail.com. Uh, just put SimTalk in the title and I'll find you. But other than that, thanks for coming out. Ben, thanks for being on the show, and I really appreciate your time.
1: Thanks for starting the podcast. This is such a great initiative. I love it.
0: (laughs) Y'all have a good night.